I can yell really loud, though. I'm good at that. I'm good for something. Anyway, John chapter 18, verse 38 is where we're going to be. But thank you to John, and uh, I'll be headed out to a week, week of camp or so in a few weeks, too, so uh, we'll see each other again. But I am just ever so thankful uh, to be here to share with you. Um, we've been endeavoring since Easter. Um, I just want to kind of recap really quick. The key word is hope. You, as a believer in Jesus Christ, have hope, regardless of what is happening in the world. And it's just crazy right now, isn't it? Absolutely just nuts what's happening. And so through uh, some of these messages, um, I just want to address that. We've come to the question of what is truth this morning. And that is found in John chapter 38. In fact, I'm going to back up a little bit, a few verses. Uh, This is in the context of Jesus standing before Pilate, before his crucifixion. And verse 33, so Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus to him and said, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this out of your own accord, or did others tell you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom, and this is so important for us to understand, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. That's just a scary thought. (laughs) Uh, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. And then Pilate said, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Our objective is to try to answer that question. Heavenly Father, thank you for your gift of mercy and grace. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for the revelation of your truth. And Father, I pray uh, that you give us the wisdom and discernment in the age in which we are living uh, who has rejected your truth, the truth. May we honor and glorify you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want a great gospel conversation starter, just ask this question. One simple question. I used to teach this to students. You just have to, I mean, because they'd be so intimidated, right? I still am because you all are scary, so I'm a little nervous, right? And so you would just go up to just one other student, and just all you had to do was ask one question. You could think of it ahead of time, and then the only thing you have to, just listen for an answer, and then the very next, when they're done saying what they're going to, just ask this other question. Oh, really, why is that? You do that seven times, I would do this to them, and I would teach them this to try to have a conversation, to have a gospel conversation, because you just draw, you're just drawing people out. Oh, why do you say that? What makes you say that? Oh, really, why is that? And they would catch me doing it to them. <laughs> hey, stop it! <laughs> yeah, I didn't tell you all my secrets. But you want a good gospel conversation starter, ask this question. What is truth? <laughs> you will get responses of all over the board. That's really offensive. What do you mean, what is truth? To think that you can know that, that's just how arrogant of you, that you think you could know truth. I've just given up. It's just too hard to figure out. I've tried, and it's just, I just, it's just, how, how do you, 
how do you, you just can't know everything. I just can't do it, so I just, I just quit. It's just too discouraging. Uh, to my response, yeah, that would be very discouraging to think that you have to know everything. Yeah, I get that. that that's not what I'm saying. I just have no idea. <laughs> I don't even know what the truth is. We now live in what I would describe turbulent times. Not what we would consider or have grown to know what is normal or ordinary. You should, I, my dad, when I got married, he goes, here's, some, here's, a, here's a pro tip marriage thing for you, son. Never say never and always. <laughs> if you see, if say something, oh, I've seen everything in this day and age, just give yourself a minute and something else is going to happen. You go, how did we get here? We live in a time of immense knowledge and information. But with all of that, all the, 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 the goodness of, the, of those things that come, we are still not sure about the truth. We still can't figure it out. Of all the resources that we have, we still apparently can't figure that out. Scripture, however, lets us know about the time we are living in out of 2 Timothy chapter 2. They will be ever learning, but never, never to be able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So we want to look at that. We want to look at some areas. What is truth? Uh, how, um, how am I supposed to, how do I know it? Uh, how am I going to re- respond to it? So we want to cover some of that today. So from our text this morning, what Pilate is talking about is, is still so profound. It's a poignant, pithy eternal significant question that everybody is asking, whether they ask it physically or not, they're asking it. And it was posed by an unbelieving politician in the person of Pontius Pilate. And that was in response to what Jesus had just revealed to him about himself. This is who I am. It was his testimony to that. And Pilate's cynical, snarky uh, response is still being asked in our day. What is truth? What's interesting is if you go to a university, you can study philosophy, and there are at least four, there's more, but there are at least four core theories of truth, which that just kind of made me chuckle. (laughs) How do you have four? You can have four? Uh, Anyway, it just made me laugh, sorry. The fact that you could have multiple things, oh, this one is and this one is, just pick one, right? And so there are truth... uh, Theories called correspondence. Whatever corresponds with what you observe is truth to you. Hmm. If I don't see God, then apparently he doesn't exist because I, I, I can't observe him. Coherence is another one. It's the claim of truth. That if you follow logic and, and coherently a set of axioms, that's truth to you. And that just made me laugh too. Where does logic and coherency come from in your worldview? If you're an evolutionary worldview, how do you get logic from that? What's your logic? How, how do you come to that? And by the way, who's setting the axioms? I should probably be worshiping that person or whoever that organization is, right? If they're determining what those axioms are. The consensus and pragmatic, those are, you know, similar. Whatever truth is agreed upon by the masses, that must be truth. Sounds like tyranny to me. Anyway, there's a bunch of those. Some will tell you, those that claim to know the truth, You're just doing that so you can keep control of the power that you have or you're trying to get the power that you want. You're manipulative in some fashion. It's just your spin on life to be in control, whether it's a personal level or at a national level. 
Truth is subjective, you hear, yet for others it comes to a, a, this cultural consensus. But what is it? What is truth? So let's define it. If you look it up, truth is what conforms to fact or reality. But we can't even agree on that anymore, can we? There is no agreement on that. But that Webster's definition is far too broad, far too general to me. Because again, you have to ask the question, facts and reality. Who's facts and who's reality? See, no one is neutral. We have to just, we have to come to just drill that into your mind. You're not, I'm not, nobody you, you ever are going to meet is neutral about this. Everybody has a bias. So let's define it this way, according to what we find in Scripture. So this is a summation, if you will. Truth is what conforms to the mind, will, and nature of the living God. That's how I'm defining truth. The one who's revealed it in his word. Therefore, truth is the self-expression of the creator God. Therefore, truth is divine. It is eternal. It is absolute it is one or it is united. It is singular, if you will. It is objective. It never changes. You can't touch it, transform it, manipulate it. It is ageless. It is authoritative in all things. Therefore, truth is going to stick out in contrast with what the world is. It will stand out like a sore thumb. It is immovable, it is bold, unwavering, unshakable, hard, but safe. It is enduring, it is trustworthy, and a whole lot more. Psalms 12 says this, verse 6, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace, the ground purified seven times. It is trustworthy, it is pure. All of truth must then be defined in terms of who God is, because truth is His very nature. That's who God is. God refers to himself as truth in Isaiah chapter 65. So he who blessed himself in the land shall be blessed by the God of truth. Therefore, truth cannot be understood, recognized, or explained apart from the nature and character of who God is. Otherwise, you end up with at least four philosophies, right? Four theories or more when you go to university. So how do you know the truth? How can you know it? Can you know it? Well, the only way you can know truth is that God has to act. He's the one that has to reveal it. He's the one that has to move to it because without that act, without him moving, we end up again with four more theories of truth. We become the center of the universe. We become, as a human being, the center of theology. What I'm getting at is, if God doesn't act, if he doesn't reveal, you cannot know the truth. Because it's not in you. He has to put it there. How do you know it? There's at least three ways. I'm just going to give you three quick ones. Paul says in Romans 1, God has revealed truth in creation. You can understand it. You can get this broad view of there is this logical, reasonable means in which life should happen and correspond. Paul makes this relation to reason and nature. You can look at nature and go, oh, it's like this. And you can draw some of those things out just by seeing it. John 17, Jesus said, the word of God is truth, right? This is true. 
Jesus himself, you see it in the person of Jesus Christ in John 14. He flat out says, I am the truth. You should let that resonate with you deeply because that is an amazing claim that someone is making, isn't it? And as Jesus did as he stood before Pilate, and Pilate is asking the embodiment, the incarnate truth, what is truth? Not even recognizing that who's standing in front of him. But what's the issue? Not everyone agrees, do they? (laughs) Not everyone agrees. So you're going to hear silly, ignorant things because not everyone has the same truth. Oh, that's your truth, but that's not my truth, right? And all that is to say there are category areas that need to be pointed out when you have those gospel conversations about what truth is. You need to make the distinction between truth and opinion because they're not the same, but that is the battle, isn't it? Because the comeback will be what? Well, that's just your opinion. Right. Okay, well, let's talk about that. Where are you basing yours on? What are you standing on? And you have to just work through this process for people. What are you standing on? I'm standing on the Bible. And the comebacks, well, you can't use that because I don't believe that. And I almost flat out laugh in their face. (laughs) Yes, so what? (laughs) Again, I should be worshiping you then, right? If you're discounting this, if you're discounting the word of God, then I should probably be worshiping you if you know. And therein lies the battle. And it's been going on since the beginning. And I just want to run through some quick examples for you. You've already pointed out one with Jesus and Pilate. But the conflict began all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, didn't it? That's where it started. Did God really say? And Jesus, or God points this out when he's giving the curses to Satan himself. He's going to bruise your head. You'll bruise his heel. That's where it begins. That's where this divergence happens in our life because of sin. Moses brings the people out of Mount Sinai, right? He meets with God. They're at Mount Sinai. He goes up. He's on the mountain. And God specifically says this statement. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt. That's why Moses is on top of the mountain, right? What's happening at the base of the mountain? Aaron's building this golden calf, right? And amazingly, all this gold just kind of fell in the fire and he out pops this, this cow. <laughs> That's what he says. <laughs> it, just, it just appears. And then this statement shows up. This is the God that brought you out of Egypt. Wait a minute. <laughs> really? Okay. Well, which is it? Which, one, which is it going to be? Is it the God who brought us out of Egypt? Or is it this golden thing that we just made? That just blows my mind when you read this. They just formed this. They saw this whole process happen. They're bringing all their gold and silver, and they're putting it at Aaron's feet. And he fashions all this stuff, right? And then all of a sudden, hey, this is the God that brought us out. Wait a minute. You just saw all these really cool things. God, just this is amazing stuff in your life. And you're saying, this this. Thing that you made is the God that brought you out of Egypt? Really? Yeah, really. We are not living in undifferent times. So the question is, which is true? Which is the truth? It just speaks to how sinful and dark our human hearts can be, right? What about Elijah and the 
the prophets of Baal. The 400 prophets of Ashtoreth, 1 Kings 18, I think it is, where he brings them all together. Hey, if God is God, we're going to worship this. If you're God, we'll, you know, we'll do that, and let's bring this all together. It's 400 to 1, or really 850 to 1. That sticks out, doesn't it? Truth sticks out when you have 850 false teachers and prophets and, and everything claiming this is the God, and you have one man standing over here looking at him. Okay, you guys go first. We'll build this altar, right? You, and we'll sacrifice everything. You got to remember, it was a drought for three years. You thought, I think it's dry now, <laughs> right? Three years, no rain. We're going to build this altar. We're going to soak it with water that we have. And then whoever God can, can call down fire, whoever can call down fire, that's the God we'll serve. And so you, he's like, yeah, you guys go first. It is so cool to be a Christian. You want to know why? Because you know the truth. <laughs> yeah, you guys go first. I'm just going to sit here and watch what you're going to do. All day long, he's just picking at him. Hey, where is your God? Huh? Does he have vacation? Did he go somewhere? Can he not hear you? Is he in the bathroom? <laughs> Read it. I mean, he's mocking them bad. Oh, that's not very nice. Well, yeah, because they're, they're living a lie, right? And he's just going after them. And they're cutting themselves, and they're doing all these just, oh, nothing, nothing happens. What does it matter? It matters because Psalms 11.3, when the foundations, when truth, in other words, is destroyed, what? Do the righteous do? That's a question that you and I have to be asking in the current situation we find ourselves in in culture. Because it makes a huge difference who's writing the school curriculum at that point. Is it going to be Elijah or the prophets of Baal? Who's instructing the society? Who's, who's pumping those thoughts and that ideas into? How do you get to a place where people will say, hey, we fashioned this and this is the God that... When they actually live something completely different, when they saw something completely different to give themselves up to, yep, this is it. It wasn't that, because I can't really see that. Nah, that's all those amazing miracle things coming out of Egypt. Nope, it wasn't that. It was this. Really? See, the world has forever charged after the golden calf, forever wanting anything but the truth, just wanting its own. It's the nature of my sinful, wretched heart. The world is ever-changing, always moving, never consistent, always unstable. And compare that to the unchanging Word of God. And that is the battle for truth, and we are living it out today, every day, currently. We have moved from rock-solid biblical foundations, uh, as a country anyway, as a nation, to the shifting sand of man's wisdom. And this is the battle where you and I are living. This is the battle of our age. And if you don't see that, you need to see that. You need, as a Christian, have been called to this battle. The question you have to ask is, are you ready? Are you ready for this battle? That's a question that we need to ask too. See, the word of truth, the word of God is armor. Truth is armor, and we need to take account to those who don't know it, who don't hold to the truth. Why? Why is that so important? Why do you need to be armed with that? Because the world has no recourse to it. The world has zero response to the truth, truly. There is no, there's no response they can give. So what do they have to do? Yell, scream, and persecute. That's all they can do. Pass laws, this, that, and the other. That's all they have. But they have no recourse to sit down and go, to have the, you know, truly, again, no one's neutral, but this conversation of what this looks like. 
Because we don't want that. That's what it means. We don't want it, so we will suppress and we will do anything else to the truth because we don't want it. We want to charge after the golden calf. So listen, do you know how to plug the Word of God into the situation we are in today? Can you do it? To stand on the Word of God and look out into the where you live, work, and play and call them to repent? I am told that we must, that I... We, Christians, but in conversation, that I have to come to terms with living in a pluralistic culture, society. Really? Let me think about that for a hot minute. No! I'm not going to do that. Paul didn't do that. You don't think when he walked into Athens, hey, there's this God, there's, I mean, he's, he's you know, when you come into Newtown, hey, welcome to, and then they have all these signs, Right? That's what Paul did. He's going into Athens. Oh, there's this God, there's this God, there's, wow, they have a lot of gods. That's not new. This plurality isn't new. And Paul goes right in, hey, let me tell you about the one true God. You don't think that would set him off? He saw the same thing. Listen, the mission is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to a messed up, mixed up world. That's what we're doing. To make heaven more crowded, where you live, work, and play. To bring the gospel to bear in your life as you live it out. And so people see it so clearly. Solomon says, truth is the better weapon of war. Listen, we are not a chosen nation. Israel was the singular chosen nation. You and I have lived in the church age. And there have been multiple nations that have used biblical principles and applied to Christian principles in life, as a nation. They all claim to be number one. You know, as a superpower, it's easy to do. Hey, look how good we are, because we're on top, right? That's not unique to America, by the way. Do you understand? All you got to do is go back and read the book of Daniel, and you see this list of everybody that was on top then, right? Started with Nebuchadnezzar. I'm number one, greatest nation. Well, not anymore, right? And you can read the list. From Babylon to the Medes and Persians to Romans, just, just read Daniel. You'll see it. It's easy to claim to be number one when you're on top. But we have apostatized and believed Aaron. We have believed Baal, the prophets of Baal, the ones that have built this nation. We are our own gods. And we get to decide what that is. We get to decide our own truth. And we have made the golden calf in our own image to redefine anything and everything we want currently. Or to define it out of existence if we want to. To rewrite history. Because we can. Because we believe the golden calf. You may have heard that the founders of this nation were all deists or some other version of Christian. Less than that. Of the 50 Five signers of the Declaration of Independence, 50 of them were professing Christians. The two deists, if you will, that people mostly remember, Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson. But they weren't very good ones. They had to apostatize themselves to fit in. <laughs> to have a voice. Did you know in 1892, the Supreme Court of these United States ruled through a, a case called the Holy Trinity versus the United States that declared that we were a Christian nation. Did you know that? I had to look that up. 1892. And they go back, because I don't want to go into the case, but um, they go back and explain why. The Supreme Court. 
fascinating to me. We have once been a godly nation because we held to this truth. Not perfectly. Please don't misunderstand that. But we held to those principles. See, we don't need to make America great again. We just need to make America Christian again. The greatness will take care of itself. So what does truth require? What does it require of you? What do you do with the truth, in other words? Truth is either going to be defensive and or offensive. It's going to be both. Defensive, how? You and I must know it so you're not deceived by the lie. That's the defensive side. You know the truth. It says, why does Jesus say the truth? If you know the truth, it'll set you free. Why? Because I'm not going to be deceived. Throughout Scripture, Paul says, do not be deceived. And then he'll list these things out. You know, don't be deceived. These sinful, the sinful nature, those kind of things, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. It's offensive because it must be lived out. Truth of Christ must be lived out in face of opposition. You've got to stand out like a sore thumb, just like rock in the middle of the ocean. It's going to be noticeable. You're going to see it. You're going to see it afar off. Your life is being watched. My life is being watched to, to live out the truth. How do you do that? Let me give you five quick things. Not so quick. <laughs> First one is this. And this is paramount to everything. This to me is the one, this, this is the one that everything is built on. You have to worship the living God. You and you appear as a family on the Lord's day to gather together to glorify Him and worship Him. And that worship transforms your life because you spend most of your life not here, right? And it transforms your life to worship in your workplace tomorrow as you're raising your kids, how you respond in marriage, all those places. It permeates and saturates everything of your life. But it all begins with you and I giving glory and honor and worshiping God, assembling together, appearing before God as a family. Why? Because you become what you worship. How do I know that? I know the truth. Psalms 115. Read it this afternoon. You will become what? Talks about deaf, dumb, and blind idols. You're worshiping those. You come. And he says, you'll become like that. You won't know the truth. We become like them, which is so fascinating to see. When you, when you understand Psalms 115 and you compartmentalize that, okay, if, I'm, if I've got idols in my life, and I do, I have to root them out. I have to find them. I don't mess around with sin. i got to kill it. I want it out of my life. What is Jesus, if I become like them, if I become what I see, if I become what I worship, what does Jesus say when he comes again? When you do what? When you see him, you will be what? As he is. Do you get it? When I see him, when I worship him, I am becoming him. I become in his nature. I'm not going to become Jesus, but I'm going to become glorified like he is. When I see him as he is, you become what you worship, right? The world will have no answer when the church has purified itself. Being the church, being the church, the people of God, the spotless bride, how, that, how does that become? Read Ephesians 5. The washing of the word. 
It's a reference to your relationship if you're married or you want to be married. It's that reference that takes place to wash. But again, it's this example of a spiritual truth that this is what God is doing, washing you with the word, purifying you. Worshiping God will promote the holiness in your life. You need to fight against a temptation that comes. It does come. But what are you supposed to do? Pray. God, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. What does he promise? Always gives you a way out. That's the truth. Do you take it? I don't always take it. I have to confess, right? I don't. I want to. I don't. This is why I tell you I am more wretched than what you think I am. I truly. Because I sin. I fall. To resist the devil, he's the one that's going to run. But resist. That's what happens when you worship. Too often we are so cavalier and flippant with our sin. God will forgive me. No big deal. It is a big deal. It is a huge deal. And by the way, he will forgive you when you repent. When you repent. He does. Number two is you've got to know the word of truth. You've got to know scripture. The clarity that Jesus gives us, the comparison that he gives, I am the truth, your word is truth, it's all embodied in the person of Jesus Christ, the scripture that God has given us. We have to know this. Why? 1 Peter 3.15 says you have to give an answer to anyone who asks. You need to be able to provide the truth to them and what they're asking. You don't have to get angry. You don't have to, you know, thump them with your Bible. Just, I would, when my kids were really struggling in high school, right? So... My daughter especially. I love my daughter. I really do. So just take that. Start, I'll start there. <laughs> However, those of you who have gone through those high school years, remember those? If you're not there, they're great. You're going to love it. It's going to be wonderful for you if you're not there yet. <laughs> Look at them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? And so all of a sudden, I noticed this, this transfer that I've taught them, and, and I had this expectation. God, I've, I've trained them up. He's trained them up in the way of the Lord. And I'm expecting this. That's not what happened. <laughs> and it dawned on me as I'm getting angry and being very passionate to God about that whole process. He's like, oh, hey, remember? They're just like you. Oh, oh. yeah. Simple. Awful. So my daughter would come to me Hey, Dad, I need to ask you a question. Okay. And so she'd ask your question. And I would proceed to process everything in the answer primarily just to get her understanding with the Word of God. Because I learned this too as a parent. Because sometimes that battle was just so hard. <laughs> right? I'm going to use this. If you want to be mad at somebody, be mad at God, not me. I'm just cheering. This is, this is what we're doing as a family. That was a really cool, fun, disciplinary tip, too, by the way. Worked great. Because this is what we're doing as a family. And what she would proceed to do is argue with me about my opinion. About what? Wait, what? Why are you arguing? With you asked, I am giving. I am not here to debate you. <laughs> I'm not doing that. This is what God's word said. So you have a decision to make. If you don't want the answer coming from God's word, don't ask. <laughs> Don't ask the question, because I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm not going to mad about it. I'm just letting you know. You have to know the Word of God. 
You have to know the word of truth. You have to be able to give an answer to anyone to ask. It's not not to be the perfect answer, but this is the answer. This is a reasonable answer, Peter says. God's word is reasonable. You may not like it. This is why you get, well, people will tell you, oh, you can't use the Bible because I don't believe in it. So what? I don't believe in what you're telling me because that's like over here in this weirdness. So no, thank you. You got to know it. You have to know it. So review your doctrinal commitments. There's doctrine in there. There's teaching. You got to hold to them. Francis Schaeffer said this about Scripture, and I just want to spend some time here because this one is important to me too. Scripture is sufficient, but it's not exhaustive. I'm paraphrasing Francis Schaeffer. Goodness, if you've ever read any of his stuff. In other words, Scripture is everything, but it doesn't have everything spelled out in it, right? It's truth, but it doesn't have it all in there. Why? Because Paul appeals to nature. He appeals to creation. He appeals to reason. The God who made the world is speaking to it. He has revealed himself via his word, via creation, through reasoning, through the written word, with the expectation on his creatures that those who read it will be wise, intelligent, observant participants in their own time and in the own situations that they find themselves living that would be us. Why? So you can apply his wisdom to the situation we are in to do then what is good and moral and righteous. In other words, to worship him. We are not supposed to go to the word like empty vessels looking for divine spiritual McNuggets to fill our life up with answers. As if all scripture was a book of proverb, and I just have to kind of like pluck this and pluck this and pluck this. Or like the Pharisees, oh, it's written in the word, so there it is. And don't you err deviate from that. It's an error in both directions, if you will. So to hear someone say, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about, and then you fill in the blank in that conversation. The Bible doesn't say anything about cloning, surrogacy, embryonics, global warming, for everything we're celebrating in the month of June today. That is an immature, simplistic, and dare I say just lazy means of seeing and understanding Scripture. Jesus made it clear to the Pharisees in the Sermon on the Mount the depth and nature and character of the Word. Do not murder. Okay, check that one off. I'm righteous, I'm good, right? What did he do in that, in that message? He unveiled the depth to which the truth of God's words go, how far it goes. What did he say? If you've hated someone, you've what? You've committed murder in your heart already. Do you see it? Well, I haven't done the very, and I would get students over the years, well, <clears throat> I might as well just go do it then. Oh, my word. This is why we're having this conversation, because you are just so immature right now. <laughs> right? That's the craziest thing ever. The whole point is, well, what is the whole point? What is the point of the Ten Commandments? They are the summary of all morality, how God sums up, in other words, his character and nature for all of humanity. The Holiness Code in Leviticus brings some more specifics and brings clarity that still apply today, by the way. But there's nothing in there about cloning, right? You won't find it. Why? They had no concept. That wasn't a thing. 
what does the Ten Commandments actually forbid? Think about it. Have you ever asked that question? Is it a specific action? Don't do this or do this in the positive. Or is it truly about the heart and the will that's inside? I would argue it's the latter. Because that's the principle that Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount. Yes, it's the act, and there's repercussions and corporal repercussions for the act, but it all began here. That's what it's supposed to address. We are to apply God's word in all these areas of our life. We are to apply it skillfully, which means you have to know it and understand it, and in such a way that it honors who God is. The truth, God's truth, is meant to make you wise. It is to turn you from foolishness and the outright depravity and evil that we are seeing today to be blessing, to glorify Him, to bring security to your life, to bring joy by applying His Word to your life. In the time and place that you are living currently, now, in this moment, it is available to you and to me. Do you know it? Okay, number three. How do you live this out? What do you do with the truth? You've got to make family stronger. Make your family stronger. Your physical family, the one that you're going to go home with today, but also the spiritual family that we have that we call the life in Christ. Husbands, to love your wives. Wives, to respect your husbands. Children, to honor their mom and dad. To develop that, to get close, to make it stronger. To eat together, to confess sins like anger and bitterness, to have those conversations together as a family. As a family. Make sense? Make family stronger. Number four, you need to be a student of history in some respects. How have others fought this? Again, this is not new to us. How have others fought? I would encourage you to read How Then Should We Live by Francis Schaeffer. It's turned into a, a video. But again, it's weighty, it's heavy to work through, but it's good. I've shared with you before, Live Not by Lies by Rod Dreyer. That's a good book, because this is the time that we're living in. And the whole point, he compares to uh, what was going on in, in uh, Russia during the Cold War. And Pravda, truth, and everybody knew if it was written there, it was a lie. And you had not to believe the lie. That was the only means in which you could fight, if you will, was to say, no, that's not true. That is not true. Why? Because they had all the political power. They could throw you in prison, you know, Siberia, all those places, all the things that they did. They didn't allow any other conversation than what they were promoting. Sound familiar? But you have to say, nope, this is the truth. I am standing on the truth in the midst of the sea of all the lies that are around me. And I stick out like a sore thumb, but I will not bend. There's some other good books that you could read. Um, Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy. That's a good one. The God of Sex, Peter Jones. There's a bunch of them out there, I'm sure. Those are just a few. Number five, be strong and courageous. You and I have been asked to be strong and courageous. And that happened all the way back with Joshua, right? Moses has died. God is sitting Joshua down, and he repeats himself, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. I am with you. What's the promise? What's the truth? Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you, right? So what are we so afraid of? Take away my stuff, take away my things, persecute, pain. Yeah, that's going to be hurtful. It'll be hard. I don't want to live in a cardboard box, right? I don't want to be that. 
I don't know what's going to take place. But I must be strong and courageous. All of this in our culture, the current things that we are feeling and experiencing are a test, if you will, of our virtue. Proverbs 28.1. The wicked flee when no one pursues. Why? Because there's no virtue in their life. There's, there's nothing good there. But the righteous are bold as a lion. What is, lions are virtuous, right? That, that, that's the connection. That's the idea. I can be bold like a lion. Why? Because I have truth on my side. Whether you agree with me or not, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Be strong and courageous. Be prepared. For what? I have to believe there will be another COVID-like battle somewhere down the pike in our nation. Right? You know? We're going to shut your church down because it's full of hate speech. Okay. We'll meet in the woods. We'll meet somewhere else. Do something. You need to know that you are a part, if you are a part of this church body, we will not comply. We will assume our rightful role as the church of Jesus Christ. We must. We will be obedient to him, and the results we will leave up to him. G.K. Chesterton, this is a good quote I thought. Christianity has died many times, but we serve a God who knows his way out of the grave. I like that. Christianity has been persecuted an awful lot throughout history, but God knows his way out. He knows what he's doing. Do you trust him? Listen, our cause is desperate, but God is still on his throne. So let me ask you this. Do you know the truth? Do you know him? Do you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? That's where you start. Have you received his gift of faith to you? Well, what does that look like? Well, what we teach here is you have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is divine. He is truly God, truly man. He did these amazing, wonderful things to demonstrate his truth to the world. You need to confess who he is, that he is who he says he is. You need to repent of your sin. You need to come to the rock. You need to, to get away from all the lies that are around, all the sea of lies that take you all over the place and come to the truth that is standing out so clear in the midst of all that and repent. Jesus used the illustration, you'll either fall on the rock and be broken, repenting, or the rock is going to crush you, judgment. One of the two is going to happen. And he's asking you to repent. You'll be baptized in his name. That's what faith looks like. So you can carry the glory of Christ in your daily life where you live, work, and play. Do you know him? Heavenly Father, thank you for your gift of truth. Thank you for your love, grace, and mercy that you've given because of the truth, the revelation that we see and understand. God, Holy Spirit, we need your filling. We need your continued outpouring on our lives to worship, to know the truth, to remember all of those who have gone before us who have faced the same battles we are facing. Father, to give us the courage we need to live out daily before you, before our families, before our church family truth of Jesus Christ to have the confidence and the joy 
and the conviction that come from knowing who you are. God, may we be that people in Jesus' name. Amen.